Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. Man, we are glad you're here today. Today we're going to be studying from the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 8, a story about when Jesus meets a demon-possessed man. And it actually is the introduction to a three-week sermon series entitled, Miracles, God in Action. Before we get to that, I I just got to say, some of you in this room really love this church. You know, look, if we're going to hit our cues, you got to hit your cue too. Let me try that again, and we're going to back up. Try that again. You know, some of you in this room really love this church. I know. I know. Your, your, sponta- uh, your spontaneous reaction just thrills me. Um, I love this church too, and sometimes I think, man, should I be the only one coming, or can I invite people? And the answer to that question is you can invite people, and there is a special day to invite a friend. Today is exciting because we're celebrating teachers, and you might be thinking to yourself, man, I would love to bring somebody to the church as well. Can I bring a friend? And the answer to that is yes. There's a Friend Sunday coming up on September 18th. And though you can bring a friend any Sunday you choose, this is a perfect Sunday for you to bring a friend for the very first time. Any friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a relative, a close friend, somebody you love, somebody you don't like, anybody you want you can bring because Jesus accepts all. And what we're going to be doing is giving you these cards on the way out. You can pick up one of these cards and it simply says, come with me to Friend Sunday, September 18th, And on the back, a little QR code. They'll scan. They can find out all about the church, and you can introduce them to an amazing church. You know, it's, you're still a little shy, all right? So we're going to work on that in the weeks to come. Uh, today, I, gotta, I have to begin by, by just getting a little real with you, a little authentic, a little honest about who I was growing up. I am not... I, I am not I have not always been the man I am. The man you see in front of you is not who I once was. Growing up, I I was, um, well, I was a nerd. You, I feel like that response is irreverent and a little bit insulting. I, I'm going to say it again. And I want you to respond properly, which is like, (gasps) because I've become an amazing, masculine, strong, um, powerful, like, cool guy. Somebody said, yeah, sarcastically in this region over here. Okay, so respond properly. You ready? Okay, here here it is. I got to be honest with you today. Growing up, I was not the man who you see in front of you. I was a bit of a nerd. I know, I know, I know. I'm shocked too. You don't believe me. Here I am. This is me at the age of 12. Let me show you. That's me. Cute, right? Cute. It got worse. Here's me at the age of 14. I'm the kid they're holding there. Like a, like a bag of beans. There I am. This is me at the age of 16. 
I'm performing. Uh, there. <laughs> uh, here's me. This is super cool me in front of the JFK Memorial. <laughs> Look at those khakis. Look at those khakis. Those are some pleats, baby. Man, that is 1997 if I've ever seen it. And, uh, and here's, me, here's me just a few years later visiting one of my favorite attractions. I've gained a little weight at this point, as you can tell. Star Trek fat is the word. Thank you so much from, a, uh, from one of my young adults who's no longer allowed to be part of our church. <laughs> and so this uh, hunk of man meat... Uh, at the age of 18 years old, decided to start throwing his hat in the ring, starting to date. And I did not date. I did not date a lot when I was a teenager. Shocking. I know. And uh, when I was 18, I went off to college in Florida, and I started to, you know, you know, I, I, I began to open up the drawer, if you will. You know what I mean? I began to let the world have a little. I wanted all the bees to smell a little of the honey that I had to offer. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> And that's what I did, and I opened up the opportunity and started dating around, and, and really the way it started was there was a big event at the college I was going to, going to. My brother was also a student. He was an older student, and uh, he and his friends were going to go. I, I asked him, I said, hey, can I go with you and your friends to this thing? And he's like, no. I said, okay, wh why, why not? He said, because this is a moment you're supposed to ask somebody to go, like go ask a girl and go with a girl. We're going as friends. I said, but you, he said, never mind what I'm doing, go ask a girl. I said, well, I've never done that. How do you do it? He said, just find a pretty girl and ask her to go. I'm like, that's it. It's pretty simple. You just ask if whatever, which one. He's like, yeah, which one of these do you think is pretty? I'm like, that one's pretty. That one. I like a lot of them. Yeah, which one? <laughs> and he's like, well, just pick one, like just one at a time. And you pick one and you ask her to go. And I'm like, all right, seems pretty simple. Well, there was one girl who had been in a couple classes with me that I thought was just adorable as a button. She had uh, blonde hair to about here, freckles all over her face. I mean, she was a cutie pie. If there ever was a cutie pie, I thought, well, maybe I'll just, you know, I'll try, I'll try that with her. And uh, so I sat in the class, and I remember watching. I'm like, this is my moment. Class gets up. She walks out, and I started, I grabbed my backpack, and I started walking after her. And I'm watching her, and kind of like a stalker, you know what I mean? Wherever she went, I'm, I'm just kind of pushed, positioned myself. And I saw her walking by, and I approached her, and I heard my brother in my ears just find a cute girl and ask her to go so I walked up and my hands were trembling you know that feeling guys where your hands are trembling and your voice and you're like hello there but it comes out hi <laughs> I said we're in a class together and um, I was wondering you know about the thing on two weeks on Saturday it's a big event the whole school is supposed to go and I was wondering and she said mm-hmm 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 and I said, so I was just wondering if you'd like to maybe go. We go together, you know, you and me. We could go together. It'd be really, what do you think? And she said, well, I got to be honest. It's going to be a no. <laughs> and what was really interesting is I've been rejected many times later, but it was never like that, like blunt. I mean, ladies, if you wanna, if you wanna really let a guy know you're not interested, do it exactly like she did. Square in the eye, she looked me dead, like like I was just a dog. She said, "It's gonna be a no." And that's the hardest part when you're trying to be cool after that moment. You're like, "Yeah, no, I, I assumed. I just thought I would check." So it's cool. I'm happy. I'm not crying. I'm not. I, I just. 
I'm going to walk away. And I did. I walked away. And I'm like, the feeling is a dagger in the heart. And it's just twisted. And you're like, man, not a cool, not a cool moment. Yeah. Some of you know what I mean. Sometimes a heartbreak. It can feel like the end. But what I've learned is that a heartbreak is not the end. The heartbreak viewed properly is actually the beginning of a whole new opportunity. Now, my heartbreak as an 18-year-old trying to get a date for the first time is nothing compared to the heartbreak some of you are facing right now. Because for some of you, it's not a relationship of seconds. It's a relationship of years that's falling apart. For some of you, it's a job where you were once valued and where you once loved working, and now you see the entire thing beginning to close down. For some of you, this end of the road is a medical diagnosis, and this is the first Sunday. You've heard me talk about problems medically that people are facing for years, and now this is the first Sunday that you're coming in after you talk to the doctors. And you feel like this is the end. This is the door in my face. This is the end of the road. And the entire sermon today, yay, the entire sermon series is there to state when you feel like it's the end of your story, that's when the miracle worker shows up. And so today we're going to see the beginning of this with a sermon called, This is Not the End of Your Story. Say it with me. This is not the end of your story. Say it again, say it again. This is not the end of your story. Maybe your heart is breaking this morning. And maybe today you're thinking to yourself, it's time to give up. Pastor Josh, do you ever feel like giving up? The answer to that question is yes. I wish I could stand up here with confidence and boldness and say, I never feel like giving up. I'm always as strong and confident and powerful as I pretend to be. But there are many moments in my life that I just want to throw in the towel. There are many moments that I feel like it's the end. There's no reason to even try to move forward. And I'm telling you, if you're there right now, I want to share the three ways and the three moments in which I feel personally like giving up. First and foremost, I feel like giving up, number one, when the storm is raging. Number one, when the storm is raging. When I'm in a moment in my life where I feel like it is completely out of control, I don't know how I'm going to overcome all of the problems I'm facing. It's not one problem, it's many problems. And the lightning is striking and the thunder is rolling and the rain is pouring and I feel like it's the end. When the storm is raging, I want to back out and I want to be done. And so it was for the disciples. In Luke chapter number 8, verse 22, look at what it says. The Bible says, Now it happened on a certain day that Jesus got into a boat with his disciples. And Jesus said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. Jesus said to them, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. Who was it that told the disciples to go in the boat to the other side of the lake? Who was it? The answer is Jesus. I'm going to ask again. You say Jesus. Who was it that told the disciples to go to the other side of the lake? Who was it? Jesus told them to get into this situation. It was God who places them in the middle of the storm. Verse 23, but as soon as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. And a wind storm came down on the lake, and their boats were filled with water, 
and they were in jeopardy. Who was it that told them to go to the other side of the lake? Who was it? Who fell asleep? Do you ever feel like God has put you in this situation and then when you go to talk to God about the situation, you feel like he's sleeping? Not you today because it's Sunday and you're at church and your faith is strong today. But on Saturday or on Tuesday or on Friday, you're like, okay, God, here's the thing. You put me here and I'm talking to you and it feels like I'm getting no answers. Have you ever been there? Like the disciples are? Look at the story goes on. And they were in jeopardy, verse 24. And the disciples came to Jesus and woke him up and said, Master, Master, we are perishing. They were terrified. They thought they were going to die. These are men who were raised, many of them, fishermen, on this very lake. They were strong men who understood storms. They were scared to death. Terrified. My son was only probably two years old at the time. Jonathan, my son, who is now almost 19, probably only two, maybe three years old. And we took him to Disneyland. And when we went there, I wanted him to ride the ride that I loved the most. I wanted him to ride Pirates of the Caribbean. Now, before we see what the Pirates of the Caribbean is like, let me explain to you, for those who haven't been, what a Disneyland ride for a preschooler looks like. This is Peter Pan. This is what Disneyland ride for a preschooler is. This is what a two-year-old and three-year-old enjoys. Doesn't this make sense, right? Go around, it's colorful, it's light, it's pretty, nice music. It's like one minute and you're done. That's what a two-year-old enjoys. But I wanted to take him on Pirates of the Caribbean, which looks more like this. And in my mind, I could not understand. I enjoyed it so much, and I don't understand why my preschooler does not enjoy skeletons and scary moments where he feels like he's going to die. So I, I took him, and I remember holding him, and as we were going, we got inside of the room. We, we get inside of that queue area where you're about to board the actual boat. And as you're about to get in the boat, he lost his mind. I mean, he just had a fit. Now, if you're a parent here today and you've ever gone through this, it's embarrassing, right? You're like, oh, man, the kid's throwing a fit. And, and have you ever been in that moment where you're holding a two-year-old and a two-year-old has the ability to make himself weigh five times more than he actually weighs? You know that feeling where the arms and the legs, get, they go out and suddenly he's 700 pounds and he just throws himself to the ground and you're trying to hold on to him and he's screaming and I'm like, come on in the boat, come on in the boat. It's okay, my child, you know, come on in the boat. I teach people how to parent. Come on in and, and, and you would think a good parent would be like, let's get out of here. But I was like, he just doesn't understand. He will love the skeletons. He'll love every minute. And so I got him on the boat and I held him in my arms. And I remember his arms were pushing against mine and I'm holding him and I whisper into his ear, you will enjoy the pirates. <laughs> and he starts, oh, 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 and the tears are coming and the lip is quivering, you know. And some of you are like, you're a bad dad. Yes, I know I am. I'm a rough dad. He was scared to death, terrified thought he was going to die. Come across this scene. He believed in his little two, three-year-old heart. He was going to die. Was he going to die? Yes or no? No. We know that from our position of maturity and life experience. But did he believe he was going to die? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did believe it. 
It was all a matter of perspective. And then the Bible says in the next verse, they woke him up and then Jesus arose, saying, and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Jesus comes to the edge of the boat, says, settle down, fellas. He stops all the wind. He stops all the waves. And then he looks at the disciples and says to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and did marvel, saying one to another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and even they obey him. Did the disciples think they were going to die, yes or no? Were they going to die, yes or no? No. Did Jonathan think he was going to die, yes or no? Did he die? No. Now, some might say, honestly, Josh, like, let's talk. We need to talk after because you should have not put your child in that scenario. And, I, and perhaps you're right. Like, hindsight, right? But there are a lot of moments in my life where I've had to put my son in hard spots that were good for him. Like, I remember a few years later when he was five and six years old when we had his first little bike and we were out in front of the house and I said, okay, all you gotta do is keep pedaling. And he said, okay, and he's nervous and he's shaky. And I said, all you gotta do is keep pedaling and I'll be behind you, I'll be behind you, I'll be behind you. And there was a moment where I had to let go. And when I let go, I knew, I knew what you know. I know what happens next. No matter how far he goes, he is going to fall and he's gonna scrape his leg. But every dad in this room knows that's part of life. And I have to let him go and hurt himself. Had to. And you had to. I can remember when he first stood at the home plate for the very first, he's a baseball player, my son. He loves to play baseball. But it was seven, eight years old. Just a few years later, he walked out the home plate for the very first time. And when you've seen a little boy for the very first time go to home plate, they're, they're scared to death. They have no idea what they're doing. He's dragging his bat out there. He's looking at people around. He pulls his bat up. He gets struck out within a matter of, I'm telling you, within 60 seconds, he's out. And when they called him out, he didn't even know he was out. He's looking around like this, scared to death. The other team had to say, you have to go back over there now. He was so scared. As a dad, I wanted to run out there, grab the baseball bat, and do it for him. But I couldn't. Do you remember the first day your child let go of your hand and walked into school? And you as a parent could not follow. He's just like, go, I gotta go to work. It's your turn. Or when your teenager had a fight with a friend and as a parent you had to fight the urge to go in and solve the problem for them and call their parents and deal with this issue. But you're like, no, I can't do that because they need to learn how to deal with their own problems. See, as a parent, we know if we're gonna properly train our children for the future, we have to let them go through difficult, hard things. It makes them stronger. Friend, can I just say right now, right now you may be sitting there and you're genuinely terrified. 
for you, it's not water and rain that's coming into your ship. You've got the debt collectors calling you every week. For you, the doctor's giving you some bad news. Your relationship is falling apart. You look at the next 12 months and you're like, I don't know that I can even make it six months, let alone 12. And you're facing a tough year ahead of you. And you think to yourself, okay, the storms are raging. Josh, let me be honest with you. Josh, when is it that you wanna give up? I want to give up when I feel like everything is out of control. What keeps me from giving up is realizing that when the storm is out of control, God is in control. And I realize this is not the end of my story. No, when we feel like it's the end of our story, that's when the miracle worker shows up. I feel like giving up a lot. Once I feel like giving up, many times I feel like giving up when the storm is raging. Another time I feel like giving up, when I feel like I'm just done at the end of my story, is when, the, my, is when my demons are winning. And that's point number two for today's sermon. The second story in the sermon, when my demons are winning. I want you to say that with me. I want to give up when my demons are winning. Say it with me. I want to give up when my demons are winning. Say it again, say it again. I want to give up when my demons are, are winning. I don't know what demons you battle. I could share a few of my own. But I want to look back into the story, the text itself in Luke chapter 8. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus, with his disciples, the boat arrives on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Luke chapter number 8, verses 26, all the way to verse number 34, tell an amazing story of when Jesus meets this demon-possessed guy. He's filled with demons. Now, I'm not going to read the entire story because in our small groups this week, you're going to dive deep and study each and every one of these verses and really study demonology and understand how the demons come after us. And if you're not in a small group, man, you have got to sign up and get involved with a small group. But in Luke chapter 8, I'll tell the story right now so you get a general idea for those who are new to the Bible. They get to the other side, they dock the boat, and where they dock the boat just happens to be in the middle of a graveyard in the middle of the night. I don't know about you. I don't know if you're superstitious, but I'm telling you, I don't want to be hanging out in a graveyard in the middle of the night, especially after 20 minutes after I thought I was about to die on the high seas. Jesus pulls in with his disciples, docks the boat, they disembark, and the moment they do, the Bible tells us out from the tombs, a man comes running toward them, screaming and yelling obscenities, absolutely and completely naked, screaming and yelling at them. He's taken stones, he's bloodied all over because he's cut himself with stones all over his body. And he's screaming and yelling as he's coming to them. Some preachers have referred to him as the nude dude with the rude attitude. He's coming right at them. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the disciples of Jesus Christ, I'm staying back. I'm like, okay, this, Jesus, maybe we need to go to the other side. I'm back on the boats. But these disciples start following Jesus, and this guy runs right up to Jesus, and he throws himself down at Jesus' feet, and he looks up and says, are you here to torment us before our time? Jesus is not intimidated in the slightest, not even a bit nervous. Why? Because Jesus is the King of kings, Lord of lords, who is not intimidated by demons. Can I get an amen? And the Bible tells us that Jesus looks at him and says, what is your name? 
The man doesn't speak because the demons have full control. The demons are winning in this man's life. The man looks up and says, the demons look up through the man and say, our name is Legion, for we are many. He wasn't possessed by one or two demons. He was possessed by many demons. Jesus in that moment looks at the demons through the man and casts the demons out of the man and throws them into a herd of swine that was out feeding on the hillside. The moment those swine are filled with demons, they run toward the edge of the cliff, they fall off the cliff into the water and drown themselves. And now this man who had been once possessed by demons, now this man, according to the Bible, who used to run through the towns and cause great dismay, was chained up with metal fetters and metal shackles, but would through the supernatural power of the demons break those apart, who terrified his children, who terrified his wife, who terrified his community, who terrified the entire region. Now, the Bible says, he sat in front of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. Isn't it amazing to you how God can change the life of any demon-possessed person? Isn't it amazing to you how God has grabbed a hold of your life and through the power of Jesus Christ has transformed you from somebody who has been controlled by demons to someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ? And the end of the passage, verse 36, tells us what happens to this man. Verse 35, excuse me. The town people came out to Jesus, and they found the man whom the demon had departed from, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Meaning, we've already learned in this passage, Jesus not only has power over the storms, Jesus has power over the demons. What about your demons? What demons do you face? This is what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to mentally come with me. I want you to come over here. I want to put my arm around you, and I want us together, you, my little brother, you, my little sister, I want to point out the demon, and I want us to talk about what this thing is doing to you. Maybe you fight the demon of greed. The demon of greed is defeating you over and over because over and over you watch your paycheck dwindle through gambling, through spending habits, through bad investing. And I'm over here as a brother and I'm telling you, don't you see what this demon is doing to you? The demon of greed is winning and over and over you feel like you're in this cycle of loss because greed gets you. Maybe for you it's the demon of gluttony. Your health goals are forgotten in the face of temptation. And I'm pointing at you, or I'm pointing at this demon, and I'm telling you, don't you see what the demon of gluttony is doing to you in your future? Or maybe for you, it's the demon of lust. As you click on another image that leads to another video that leads to depression and it leads to sadness, and I'm putting my arm around you and I'm saying, don't you see what the demon is doing to you? Or maybe for you, it's the demon of pride. As you look down on all of these sad, sorry people. Until you suddenly realize you sit alone in your cloud of arrogance and ignorance. And I want you to come alongside and say, don't you see what the demon of pride is doing to you?
Maybe today you're like me and you faced losing long enough and you're like, I do not want to keep losing to my demon. What do I do, pastor? I'm telling you, I know somebody who not only has power over the storms, he has power over the demons. And all you've got to do is exactly what this man did. Bow down before Jesus Christ and say, oh God, you've got to refuse. You've got to remove these demons from my life. I can't overcome it by myself. I need you to overcome it with me. Because if there's ever a moment that I feel like it's the end of my story, if there's ever a moment I feel like just giving up, it's when the storms are raging or when the demons are winning and the demons don't have to win in your life. The storms don't have to destroy you in your life. The third moment that I feel absolutely like giving up. If I were to be transparent and honest before you today, I feel like giving up. I feel like it's the end of my story. Number three, every time God says no, when God says no, I feel like that's the end. Now, I, I want to ask you, if you're a Christian here today, you know what it is to pray, and um, I'm going to ask you a few questions I want you to answer out loud. Uh, any Christian in the room, anybody that's a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus today, say amen. amen. All right, you're a follower of Jesus and so am I. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'm glad you're here. You're just observing and maybe you'll become a follower of Jesus. We hope you do. But again, if you're a follower of Jesus, say amen. Okay, as a follower of Jesus, any of you ever pray, you ever ask God for something and God says yes, he answers your prayer the way you want him to answer your prayer. Is there anybody here that has ever been, as a Christian, you've prayed and asked God for something and God said yes, he answered your prayer the way you, he, you wanted it to? If that's you, say amen. amen. So God said yes to you. If God ever said yes, say amen. amen. All right, same question. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand so others can see. How many of you, as a Christian, have ever prayed for something and God said no? Raise your hand. How many of you? Look around. Almost every one of us. Put your hands down. God says no. Man, I hate being told no. I hate going up to the young, you cute, little, freckled-faced, you know, blonde cutie pie. No. From me, it's going to be a no. And some of you have been praying the same prayer for a very long time, and God is not saying yes. In fact, God is not even saying, well, we'll wait and see. God said no. And you're like, why? I don't get it. I mean, if I was asking for something bad, I would want God to say no. But what I'm asking for, Pastor, is something good. But God still said no. It just is so defeating. It's so frustrating. And sometimes it makes me want to give up as, as if it's the end of my story. And that's what happens in our final message here today. Look at what it says in Luke chapter number 8, verse 37. Then the whole multitude, that is the entire townspeople, come out to Jesus. By the way, let me just stop and say this. Sometimes people think Jesus is on the wrong side of history here. And some of you Bible students, you know, you're like, you know, I get it because the townspeople are about to come out and say to Jesus, get out of our town. And some of us are like, they, he's kind, they kind of got a point. Jesus like destroyed a bunch of pigs that didn't even belong to him. And we kind of feel bad for the townspeople. Let's be honest. How many of you ever read this and you kind of get the townspeople's point of view, right? You say, why would this be okay? Well, if you remember, this is the land of the Gadareans. Who are the Gadareans? The descendants of Gad, the tribes of Israel. 
what are the tribes of Israel doing harvesting swine? They were already breaking God's law. You know what Jesus was doing here? Two birds, one stone. Can I get an amen? He was cleaning up the community and cleaning up a soul all at the same time. Never question Jesus. He's got this thing going on. He knows what he's doing. But the townspeople, because they're rebelling from God, they're not following the laws of God, they don't believe in Jesus, they come out to Jesus and they see this guy clothed and in his right mind. They run out to Jesus and they say to him, get out of our cities. Look what it says. Then the whole multitude came and they asked Jesus, depart from them. Can you imagine an entire community saying, we don't want you, Jesus. And notice what Jesus does, by the way, follower of Jesus. Jesus never stays where he's not wanted. He's a gentleman like that. He doesn't force himself into a community, into a country, into a nation, into a home, or into a heart that doesn't want him there. Jesus doesn't force himself on anybody. If you're here today and you're like, don't force your Jesus down my throat, Jesus doesn't want to be forced down your throat, friend. He's a gentleman. He wants nothing to do. Listen, he will leave you to yourself if you want to be left alone. But for some of us, even though he loves you, he wants to be with you, he offers himself to you, but if you don't want him, he'll back away. But for some of us, we're like, Jesus, we need you. But others, they're good on their own. They don't need the Son of God at all. So that's where they were. They came out to Jesus and said, get out of our coasts. They begged him that he might, uh, they, they, Jesus, depart from them. And verse 38, now look at verse 38. This is fascinating. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged Jesus that he might be with him. Now you would think you would know what the next verse says, but you'd be wrong. Picture the scenario. The townspeople are out there at the graveyard at the docking of the ship. They see Jesus and his disciples. They picture what actually took place. They see all the dead pigs and they say, okay, we got to tell you you're not welcome here. Leave! So Jesus and the disciples are like, cool, fine. There's a lot of people on the other side that want us. So they get on the boat. They're ready to leave. Now the guy who is formerly demon-possessed, right? He looks around, and he looks at Jesus and his disciples. He looks at his town folk, and he's like, well, where do I belong? And so he does the obvious thing that you would do. He runs up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, can I go with you? Can I be one of your disciples? And you would think, of course, Jesus would say, yes, you're now one of my disciples. I got tax collectors and fishermen and now a crazy naked guy. It's perfect. It works. It works. But Jesus looks at him and says, no. Return to your house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city the great things that Jesus had done for him. I've noticed in my life that when Jesus says no, it's because he has a better yes in store. You say, Pastor Josh, I'm facing some no's right now. Right now, I keep getting shut down for this job opportunity. I keep getting shut down by this friend. I keep getting shut down by this family member. Friend, I've learned over and over in my life that a big no from God means a better yes from God down the road. 18 years old, cute little thing. 
Thanks for asking, but it's going to be a no from me. Oh. And little did I know that God was about to keep my eyes away from a cute little blonde with freckles and bring out the brunette bombshell <laughs> that I met and married. Hallelujah! <laughs> Great news, she liked nerds. It worked out really, really well. And it's still working out pretty good. Why? Because behind every no is a greater yes. See, I know a couple who asked God for a pregnancy. And it wasn't once, it was every year, every day, every month, every week. God, give us a baby. God, give us a baby. Will you give us a baby? God, give us a baby. We want a family. God, give us a baby. And every Mother's Day was like torture, and every Father's Day was a pain in his side. And God kept saying no. Until finally one day they said, maybe that's our little girl over there. And they adopted the most beautiful, sweet, godly, sweet little princess that goes to our church. And if you were to ask them today, did God disappoint you? They would say, oh, no. Behind every no from God is a greater yes. I know of a man who for years sought a promotion Every single month he would be putting in for this great promotion and he kept getting passed by. And it wasn't because he didn't deserve the job. It's because in reality, the way that corporate was structured, it just was not the people he knew in the right place. And it was no after no after no. And it was frustrating because he could use these funds to help his family, his community, and the kingdom of God and the church of God. And it was no after no till finally he said, you know what? I feel like this is all full of no's. So what I'm going to do is go start my own business. The man is a multimillionaire to this day because the no led to a greater yes. I could tell you about a preacher friend of mine. His name is Alan, Alan Parr. Alan wanted to be a pastor. He had spent his whole preparation to do what I'm doing right now, shepherd a group of people. But it was one no after another no after another no after another no, shut door after shut door, never fulfilling his pastoral calling until one day he said, well, if nobody wants to hear me preach, I'll just start preaching on YouTube. And now the man preaches to hundreds of thousands of people every day virtually through YouTube. He's one of my favorite YouTube guys. Why? Because with a no is always a greater yes. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. Do you know what's fascinating, by the way, as I close? What's fascinating about the land of the Gadareans, say it with me again, land of the Gadareans, that Jesus gets in his boat, goes to the other side, and spends most of his ministry on the other side. The only other recorded time that Jesus finds himself in the same region is when Jesus arrives with his disciples, and there are 4,000 people that come out to hear him. So big was the crowd, they brought no food. So he broke, breaks bread and fish, and he spreads it among the crowds. 4,000 people show up in the same area that said before, just months before, we don't want you here, Jesus. Now he has 4,000 people that are listening to his word. I wonder who it was who told all those people about what Jesus can do. The crazy naked guy, yes. 
friend, I, he, here's what I'm trying to say. When you think it's the end of your story, could it be possible that that's the very moment that the miracle worker is ready to show up? I want you to leave with that hope today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity of teaching these beautiful Bible stories to your people and reminding us today, oh God, through the power of your Holy Spirit and Holy Scripture, reminding us not to give up even when it feels like the end. Lord, we believe in miracles and we believe that you can do one in our lives today. Whatever is needed in this room, whatever the problem is, whoever feels like they're ready to be done, oh holy God of heaven, hear my prayer help them to see the fresh new beginning in front of them. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.